Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for full access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson. I'm in conversation with Giovanni Buttarelli. Giovanni Buttarelli is the European Data Protection Supervisor. Giovanni, I thought we'd construct this little conversation of ours in, in three parts. First of all, the impl implementation of GDPR six months after it became law. Secondly, the role of data in this new data economy that everybody talks about and how well-placed Europe is to, to make the most of the, the, this data economy. And last but not least, the digital ethics debate which you've launched uh, through this recent uh, major conference that you hosted. So we're now six months after GDPR became a reality, a legal entity. Um, what is your experience of the, the level of implementation and compliance by those who should comply with the GDPR six months down the road? Not bad. The, the GDPR is senior in terms of conception and legal analysis, but still junior in terms of implementation. But I predicted a few weeks ago that the first round of sanctions uh, and fines will, will come by b before the end of the year. This is what we see from Portugal and the UK, for, for instance. Uh, we have been assisting uh, the European Data Protection Board in uh, starting um, on the right track by day one. And we see uh, things evolving in, uh, in a very satisfactory manner in terms of bilateral, multilateral cooperation, identification of the competent lead authorities, uh, if, uh, if, if any, synchronization of efforts in, in case of cross-border uh, operations, and the commitment to speak with one voice and this is because of the rules of procedure of the uh, the board which are very different from those of the previous um, working party 29. Um, we still see a fragmented approach in terms of uh, adaptation of the GDPR at national level uh, now even Romania is coming with uh, its homework uh, but the first round of uh, national legislation are not, uh, let's say, perhaps identical enough. So they are to be analyzed, uh, and this will require a few, uh, few months. Now this is the moment of truth with regard to incoming um, political elections in the EU and in 13 member states. So one of the challenges of the, the board uh, relates to not only enforcement but also uh, respect for the spirit of the, the GDPR and this relates to two issues. First of all the tsunami of um, unacceptable uh, notices uh, circulated in the last uh, months uh, aiming to at defending data controllers instead of data subjects and uh, by moving uh, what was previously um, based on consent to contractual clauses to accept in a take it or leave it approach. And the second uh, track relates to international agreements, so the identification of a common position on the territorial scope of the GDPR uh, because of the new um, approach where everybody offering goods and services in the world or profiling people in the world is subject to EU rules. But then what about uh, transfers of data? How the two things um, are, um, let's say, interconnected? Uh, it, it, it's likely to be a, a legal issue, but it has a lot of uh, consequences. Same story about now the, the deal with uh, Japan 
uh, it would be the first decision uh, after the, the, the GDPR, uh, which will have an impact also on, on the privacy issue. Could you explain a bit the Japan situation for people in listening who aren't maybe experts? There's a draft experts. agreement, uh, to trade agreement, uh, where Europe is uh, successful in, in saying that we keep our own rules. So anytime we negotiate an agreement which in principle may prevail on internal regulation in the EU, um, the EU is not available to rediscuss uh, data protection provisions. So the trade agreement does not, does not contain any data protection provision. But they are essential for the, the introduction of this uh, unique uh, single market in the world in between uh, Europe and Japan, which will be also relevant for the United States and other uh, economic areas in, in the world. And therefore the trade agreement is assisted by two decisions in terms of reciprocity to assess the adequacy of the protection of personal data in both Japan and in Europe. Okay. Well, you use that very evocative word, uh, Giovanni, uh, a tsunami. That's, you, are you alarmed by the extent to which some companies are using this take-it-or-leave-it approach? Were you expecting that? Uh, a little bit, uh, but I was surprised particularly by um, the behavior of big companies and, and big tech, where um, some services which should be offered in a different way according to privacy by design and privacy by default principles uh, are considered as essential for the policy of, of the, the same company and therefore there is no choice for, for the data subjects. So for a, social, a so big social network or a big search engine, um, this may be controversial um, beyond the data protection. Okay. Well, you mentioned big tech. Clearly, they have issues with that, and, and you're suggesting that there may be some exploitation, which is unacceptable from a regulatory point of view, so a supervisory point of view. When it comes to small businesses, have you had any uh, resistance or, or concerns and criticism being leveled at, at your office by the small business community that this, this the GDPR is is onerous and and and, and costly to implement? A lot of worries, uh, part of them are justified, others uh, less, because it's a deja vu uh, since they are challenging uh, what was already in because of the previous Direct 9546, which went into force uh, 20, years, uh, 20 years ago. So they are now reinventing the, the, the wheel. Most of the new principles of the new regulation uh, do not affect uh, small and medium enterprises. But I'm firmly committed, uh, and, and this is where they are right, to uh, respect the principle of scalability in the GDPR. There is not one fit for all, and, and therefore even in terms of consultancy, we, we, we should uh, encourage all lawyers, law firms, uh, and even us as um, regulators in terms of guidelines to assist uh, SMEs uh, to let's say, have the proper approach. Otherwise, we, we risk to have a, an over-bureaucracy. Right. Well, everybody's talking now about the data economy, obviously, and the extent to which uh, Europe has to position itself, or is it positioning itself to embrace that new data economy? Data is the new oil that's become a tired cliche already. Uh, and it is claimed by some that Europe could not just be compete rather well, but to even take a lead in areas such as artificial intelligence and the Internet of Things. But is there at all a, a, a tension between the free flow of data uh, uh, and data protection, data privacy? 
We did not object to that initiative, uh, apart from a sentence which is not the, the best one, saying that there were, when there is a mix of uh, uh, anonymous data and personal data, one of the two approaches should should prevail. Uh, I think that the two issues goes uh, go in two separate tracks, and there is no incompatibility. So I appreciate the spirit of that initiative. One important uh, development in the EU is uh, the extension of safeguards um, concerning consumers to contracts where there is no money and therefore um, there is no payment and therefore uh, the, um, the consumer is requested to pay with uh, his or her own data. So we appreciated the initiative by the Commission to extend such safeguards in a new area, although we say we do not recommend uh, to give the blessing of the legislation to the idea that data are simply a commodity, because they, they are a projection of the personality of the individuals. They cannot be monetized uh, at all, as um, someone may imagine. Before we move on to digital ethics, uh, Giovanni, let me slip in a quick question, if I may, on, on Brexit. Um, how confident are you that uh, in the event of the UK leaving the European Union uh, at some point in the future, uh, there will be some kind of uh, agreement between the UK and the E27 on, the, on relatively free f uh, flow of data? I'm very familiar with, with this file. Uh, you say, in case we will have a Brexit, <laughs> let me say that I continue to put my money uh, on a solution where we will have, uh, let's say, a deal in many years from now, perhaps, and no Brexit deal. Uh, different options are available depending on the kind of soft or hard uh, Brexit. Um, so um, it could be that UK uh, become member of the European Economic Area or an EFTA member uh, or nothing or, or perhaps uh, that the GDPR is incorporated in the UK system and therefore there is an aggressive finding uh, so UK is treated as a third country such as US. Uh, the, this uh, last option would be a little bit more um, let's say problematic because in this case we have to assess also the national security system intelligence okay and this would be the first time that we do it uh, with regard to a member state or former mem member state so I continue to to wish that the solution will be fine someone is thinking to a sort of an adequacy plus <laughs> system where uh, our sister authority ICO can continue working in the TPP as a, as a full member. Um, so we are supportive uh, of the idea to maintain strictly a relationship with them. But the solution by a data protection viewpoint, to come back to your question, will depend 80% uh, on the, the, the main scheme, which Brexit first. Okay. Well, let, let's finish off, as I suggested at the beginning, uh, by discussing and getting a, a better understanding of um, digital ethics, as it's called. You recently hosted a, a major conference here in Brussels, bringing together all your counterparts from around the world and uh, st other stakeholders in the private sector and civil, civil society. Uh, the theme of the conference, as you know much better than I do, was debating ethics, dignity and respect in data-driven life. You, I know you have a very keen uh, interest in this issue. Wh why is it such a big issue for you? Compliance with the GDPR, consumer law, competition law is not enough. We see 
pending problems, particularly in terms of uh, the digital dividend, um, what we call digital dividend, so the collective benefits from uh, big data. We see a trend in terms of concentration of data in the hands of few, and though we don't want to slow down the development of new technologies, we see uh, applications, uh, perspectives where there is compliance with the law, they are technically uh, feasible but morally controversial, not, not, not entirely sustainable. So we are building an entirely new society, we need to go beyond the, the law. So we have analyzed which kind of ethical principles are already embedded in data protection, to which extent we as data protection authorities or other regulators are entitled to deal with ethics, to which extent ethics may come before, in parallel or after the, the, the law. We have heard a lot of um, a variety of different uh, approaches, but the, the main conclusion at the end of the conference was it has been a very good idea to launch this debate. My conclusion is that 25 years ago we started speaking about data protection. It was an historical change. We moved from the traditional protection of privacy or privacy to um, a set of provisions uh, introducing now the uh, autonomous right to the protection of personal data, which goes beyond confidentiality and, and, and privacy, even with regard to data publicly available. 2018 is, um, let's say, a another landmark uh, moment where we are moving to another debate. So we have been successful in launching this debate, and, and it will require a few years, uh, but it is essential that we uh, have an analysis on values to be considered by regulators around uh, the development of the big data and artificial intelligence world. Well, there's a final question then, Giovanni. You hinted at it in your last answer, but what would you like to, to see happening now? Uh, you've had this major conference, you've had this public consultation, where the results seem to more or less uh, indicate what, you, what you've just been saying. But in a, in a time scale not too far away, what should basically the next steps that the EU should take, and even by extension the whole world, in this area of digital ethics? In parallel with the exercise on the intersection with consumer law and competition law, the digital clearinghouse, we will continue, uh, not now launching, because the debate is launched, but we will continue uh, debating and, and we will uh, start from the viewpoint that there is no consensus of what uh, is ethical. Mm. But there are many experiences, particularly in the health sector or uh, on scientific research, genetic data, on what is uh, ethically, uh, morally uh, tenable. So we need to identify best practices to allow that new technologies uh, serve mankind. And therefore, um, this is a step-by-step -step approach. Uh, and perhaps uh, we will see to which extent data protection regulators uh, can play uh, a role. Uh, are we uh, thinking about uh, global principles? because what is ethical in Asia cannot be necessarily ethical uh, in, in this region or, or the world. Are we speaking about sectoral principles? Um, so this is still an, an open debate. It's not anymore in, in its infancy. Uh, it's now is, it starts being mature, 
but the 1446 participants uh, came back home by thinking it has been a good idea to launch definitely this debate okay we have to leave it there Giovanni Buttarelli thank you very much for your time my pleasure